Welcome to the DevReady Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better technology. My name's Andrew Romeo, and uh, my co-host Anthony Sapundas joins us today. Uh, today we interviewed Will Strange. Will is from Sports Performance Tracking, where they're, they're basically GPS tracking uh, units for um, more your aspiring uh, sports enthusiasts and sports teams. So your local football, for example, local basketball teams, etc., where they would track... Um, people running around a field and get some data back so that they can basically improve, but will it be at a training as well? So Will started out as a real estate agent, moved on from that into his own first business, which was uh, 365 Underwear, which was a um, subscription-based underwear and socks delivery model. Uh, Will then started venturing into a product which is more of a passion of his, which was the sports performance tracking business. Over his time, since 2014, Will's raised over $7.5 million in capital into that business, uh, has now over 50,000 users across uh, the globe in over 120 countries uh, and supporting over 3,000 teams. So significant success. Uh, Will talks about his the growing of that team, um, working with partners, um, throughout that process, bringing on a technical founder that actually helped him build the, the software product, but also the realization that he had to build a hardware product, which is extremely challenging when you don't know how to build a hardware product. Will partnered with um, Planet Innovation to help him do that and deliver the hardware component of his business, and now is a growing and thriving business. Um, like everything, um, and that we're seeing in the, in the current landscape. Um, sports performance tracking has been impacted. What's going on with the global pandemic right now? Um, his team has, has shrunk from 21 to nine. Uh, there's no one actually buying um, GPS units at this current frame at point in time. Um, and Will's had to make some significant shifts in terms of way he models his business to get him through this, uh, this patch that we're going through in terms of... Um, no sport being played, uh, which means no one's using sportsman tracking right now. But with this great product, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. And once we move beyond this, um, we will continue to grow um, into that. So Will, as just to give you a bit of background on Will, um, he's a multifaceted entrepreneur. Uh, he's been named in Deloitte's um, Faster 500 um, and yeah, got a really good sales um, acumen but also a very creative mind in terms of how we went about beginning this business. So enjoy the podcast. There's plenty of content that you'll get um, out of this and some really good insights. Will, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Look forward to chatting. And uh, Will's coming from his car today, so um, we're all uh, locked away. Um, as we all know, we're in the middle of um, the, the coronavirus outbreak and uh, things are a little, little bit more difficult, so nothing's coming from our studio at the moment. Anthony and I are at home and uh, Will's sitting in his car, so hopefully the audio is okay um, and uh, it all comes out all right from here. Now, Will, um, tell us a bit about your background and who you are and where you sort of come from in your, in your career. Yeah, so I suppose, you know, understanding, you know, the, the nucleus of my career comes from understanding the nucleus of me. And um, I'm a pretty competitive person, grew up playing lots of different sports, um, loved sports and, and ultimately saw myself leaving school at the age of 18 and, uh-huh. um, you know, looking for something to, to really, um, you know, whet the appetite of that competitiveness. And um, for me, I'm, I'm sort of naturally a salesperson. Um, I like talking um, some people don't like listening, but that's fine. I'm, I enjoy it still. Um, <laughs> Love it. But ultimately, yeah, ultimately wanted to look for a career that, that really gave my personality and, and my drive to, to succeed a go. And um, early on, that was in real estate. So uh-huh. at the sort of pimply-faced age of 18, was running around Melbourne's West um, in, in sort of Truganina, Sunshine, these you know, wonderful places, uh-huh. trying to sell sell commercial and industrial property mm-hmm. um, and, and lease it to businesses. Okay. And um, that, that was really the, the start of my career. And, and ultimately from there, worked with a bunch of clients, ended up moving over to, to the property development side of things with a, mm-hmm. a client of mine that I had from very early. Um, and then at sort of 24, 25, realized, you know, if I'm, if, if I'm going to make anything of myself, I've got to push myself and I've got to work for myself and I've got to learn from everyone. Um, and, and really try and create a career that way and create a career that I wanted mm-hmm. um, to, to sort of strive for. Okay. And so I jumped into to running my own business, which 
was actually a, an underwear business in, in a company called 365 Underwear, which was a subscription underwear business off the back of um, you know, the subscription boom and the subscription product boom. That's sort of what um, 2013 from what I've seen. So, yeah. 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 So, so did you, how did you get into underwear that. business? What was the thinking behind that? <laughs> yeah. Look, people ask, how did you get into businesses? And I, and I look at it and I got into a subscription underwear business for men and sports, two things yes. that are probably don't necessarily go hand in hand. <laughs> um, but ultimately for me, it was a, you know, it was a time in my life where I was building a product for myself. I just moved out of home. Uh-huh. Um, I'd never realized how expensive underwear were. Um, I'd never realized, you know, the, the frustration of jumping into your underwear drawer and finding holes in your undies and you just haven't replaced <laughs> them. It just becomes a... Your mum doesn't uh, do it anymore, does she? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So not only not only are you paying 100 bucks for three or four pairs of, you know, little bits of fabric. Yes. But, um, you know, on top of that, you just forget to do it. You go to the mm. shops, you do other things, you do other necessity shopping mm-hmm. and that's just forgotten about. Yeah. Um, so for like me, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's a necessity. Um, I, I assume for most. Mm-hmm. Um, for but, most, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and people do very different things. Each to their own. Yes. Exactly. We were we were looking at targeting sort of the, you know, eighty percent of the male population, but uh-huh. funnily enough, the, the buyers were still the females that wanted a job off their list. Interesting. Okay. So that was okay. a subscription model. So it basically, gets delivered to your doorstep. Correct. So it was three sixty five. The premise of that was every day of the, the year you need to wear underwear and yes. the three being written out was every three months for thirty dollars. Okay. So you got three pairs mm-hmm. of undies, three pairs of socks for thirty dollars mm-hmm. every three months, mm-hmm. three hundred and sixty five days of the year. All right, perfect. Now you've obviously exited out of the business. What did you learn from that business? So you were in that for about three years. What were some of the key takeaways? Yeah, look, that was my first real business. I had fun, I sort of had funny little businesses when I was in year 10, 11, 12 at yeah. school where I was running my own little um, sort of locker room canteen selling soft drinks and other things. Mm-hmm. But that was the, the real learning curve of, all right, how do you build websites? How do you communicate to people in different or different stakeholders? So, you know, yes. being non-technical, how do I you know, speak to a web developer, get my point across? Um, figure out what I want, but also, mm-hmm. you know, engage them to teach me what I should be asking and and, and learning on the go. So for me, you know, we built a, a really um, strong website and, mm-hmm. and that was off the back of getting some exposure through Shark Tank. Um, oh, Shark and, Tank, the actual, that's Channel yeah. 10, I think it was, from what I recall. Channel 10? Yeah, yeah Tank. so you so on Shark Tank, nice. Yeah, yeah, so I was a big um, Shark Tank buff of the US and Mark Cuban fan and those yep, types yep, yep. and... Mm-hmm. And was fortunate enough to get onto their um, TV show here in Australia, and, and off the back of that, mm-hmm. you know, there was six or seven hundred thousand people watching, and we yes. had sort of fifteen thousand people on our website. So we had to build something oh, wow. okay. pretty strong yep. architecturally. Did you end up getting to, investment there? Down. So we did. Okay, um, nice. Who did you end up working with? Well, so we worked with um, Naomi and Janine. So Naomi Simpson from Red Balloon yeah, and wow. Janine Ellis from Boost, um, yeah, and all yeah, the yeah. new companies she owns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But prior to completing the deal, um, what mm-hmm. people don't really know about Shark Tank is you do the deal on the episode, you do the deal on the show, and then basically the DD starts. And then yes. the, um, ultimately the negotiation doesn't start, but certainly mm-hmm. you know, uncovering a whole bunch of things about both parties, um, okay. you know, the investor yes. as well as the investee. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for us, we went through that process. And, and whilst that was happening, one of the big things that we found was there was more interest in SPT from our um, from the investors, and they started talking about that. Um, so I ended from up from Naomi. You know, take, yeah, well, from yeah. from uh, some of the other sites oh, as well. Okay. So some of the things that okay. w- what wasn't mm-hmm. aired on the episode was uh-huh. um, that they actually tried to invest in both companies. They then tried to invest in SPT. Then they tried to mm-hmm. take a chunk of my next five years. Interesting. So they said any of your revenues for the next five years, we'll give you this money, but mm-hmm. we get anything that you build. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's you know you're in in the tank for an hour and hour and a half mm-hmm. I think and they show, they show six or seven minutes yeah okay. um, so there's a, a bit going on yeah yeah definitely yeah. but on the back of that you know you go through a DD you go through a negotiation and then it came very clear to me which was about a four or five month process uh-huh. was that you know I wanted to transition personally into the sports side of my businesses Understand. rather than the male underwear side so oh. that was a choice I made okay so what did you do with the male underwear business. Uh, so I actually sold it to a, um, funnily enough, I put it on a, 
um, a, a person came to me off the back of the episode and said, uh-huh. look, we've had a lot of success selling businesses mm. after they get this great exposure. Yes. Um, would you look at selling? And, mm-hmm. you know, initially I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm always interested in a deal, so uh-huh. just tell me what, what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got off the back of that, um, you know, he went out and spoke to a couple of parties and, and ultimately someone said, yeah, they'd definitely like to take it. Nice. Um, they then took over mm-hmm. and um, he was quite a well-known, well, not a well-known, but um, quite a successful entrepreneur in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he bought it and then actually had a really big success in one of his businesses. Yes. And um, mm-hmm. moved the moved the business again. Okay. And since then, it's actually closed down. So okay. um, right. it was certainly sad to see it close down mm. at an end goal. But, uh-huh. you know, even going through that sale process was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was uh, certainly a learning curve as well. So what, were, what was I it like selling a business? So some people out there haven't probably done this before. What was a, what were some of the things that you learned through that process? Um, it's it's bittersweet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the sweet side is obviously the outcome, the, the financial rewards, mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the other side is it, it, it does feel like your baby, any business you start from scratch, you start from nothing, yes. you know, you know, everything about it is, it is an arm, it is a leg, it's, you know, it's another limb mm. on your body. Mm. Um, but you know, going through the process, you know, learning what people think and how people think differently about what they're trying to buy, what they're looking for, you know, really makes you target how you build businesses in the future. Get it. Um, whether that's, you know, simple processes, um, everything documented, you know, when you're going for a DD, the last thing you want to do is spend the whole time in DD, um, you know, documenting and pr- your processes, and going due, through them, building it. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Due, 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 yeah. due diligence yeah. for anyone out due there who doesn't know what DD is. is. But, um, yeah, like, I think it's having that structure there in play and understanding what people are looking for when buying a business. Um, is yeah, pivotal. You mentioned a lot about structures and um, your processes documented and some key things that a lot of businesses just don't do. I think it's it's like anything else, and I, I probably relate it to something that I spend a lot of time on now, which is the sales side of um, sports performance tracking. Mm. You know, you build your processes that anyone can run it, and yep. you also you, you basically build it so you don't need to be there. That that's mm-hmm. success in this in this sort of entrepreneurial life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you can build that, whether it be your sales side of things using Salesforce and you know documenting every call, every fung- every um, email, all in one place. So, if a salesperson leaves, you replace them with the next person, and they pick up everything that they had they know where the uh-huh. conversations were you, if you can do that with the business mm. you can then sell it for a lot more because someone buying goes you know this thing's set up i'm not gonna have to spend my first six months figuring out what i'm doing mm. i can just start doing yes correct. and you know every, a lot of people think that being an entrepreneur you you know a lot of the time you can be organized you don't have the chance mm-hmm. but you've got to make the chance and, mm. and that's I think that's the difference of a, of a good outcome and a bad outcome mm-hmm. is how well built that process is. And that's what I learned from, from the, the sale of the 365 underwear business. Yeah, I think and that's a really good. Yep. I was going to say yeah. probably help you just be more efficient in the business itself. Mm. Oh, Whether there's systems or procedures, as long if they're defined, then you can do better at what you're meant to do. Mm. And delivering better outcomes for the business and generating more revenue, more profit for the business means it's easier to sell. And if anyone can take that and manage that, then obviously it is a sellable business. It's not on you. Yeah, and saying yeah, you know, there's a lack of time is potentially because you don't have those things in place either. Correct. So you can be spending too much time on the things that are not high value enough. Mm-hmm. You've got, the process I mean, would fix them for you. Time is the one constant that you know we're never going to get more of. Mm-hmm. So if you can build out ways to you know, use your time better, manage your time, manage your people, all that sort of stuff. That's that's where the winners, the winnings happened. Um, unfortunately, you know, the flip side of that is when you don't have much time, things become unorganized, then you get less time and less time and less Correct. time. It becomes even harder. Yep. Then you're too mm-hmm. far down the track and you're just like, I can't be bothered. Mm. And you're on that hamster wheel that never ends, basically. Yeah. 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 All right, so that's some interesting background there. Um, now let's dive into what... Um, sports performance tracking is um how so you you're basically looking at sports performance tracking and what were you sort of playing in this area while you're working on the um the uh the underwear three or 365 underwear business how were you doing that and how were you managing both yeah so you know it was very much the traditional story of working in the garage the family home um in areas where uh-huh. there was no phone reception okay. um these types of things so oh, nice. a lot of the time whilst i was you know waiting for our products and our samples and uh-huh. things like that to come back from china mm. um i was playing local aussie rules football um, down in melbourne Who'd you play and 
Uh, I played for Old Scotch. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's just a local mm-hmm. local boys football team in. Yeah. Um, then it was in. Oh, it still is in Premier Grade in the BAFA. Yeah, that's a reasonable um, level. Yeah. 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 No, we certainly had some very good players. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't one of them, but, but <laughs> very high quality sort of. Now I'm either AFL superstars or yeah, yeah. you know playing decent roles at, at clubs. Yeah. Um, nice. But yeah, certainly a, a great place to, to play for me, and uh-huh. and it was certainly a passion that I had. Um, and so whilst I was playing, I was you know had had another thought come to mind, and waiting for the underwear samples to come in from China. And mm-hmm. um, you know I've, I've dabbled in technology, always been a bit of a you know I like the new gadgets. I uh-huh. you know wouldn't ever have an um, an iPhone. I'd want a you know Pixel or whatever it is. I want the new stuff. Just a new thing. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, I looked at it and said, all right, how do I mesh these two things while I have a little bit of time? Uh-huh. Um, and ultimately from there, what I, what I figured out was, you know, playing, you know, if you're, if you're running around and this is the nucleus of how SPT started is if you're running around the town, you're running around the bay, you, you know, whatever you're doing, mm. um, you're tracking yourself but from your phone or, um, you know, a, a Fitbit or a Garmin or a Sunto or whatever. Yes. But the second you walked into team sports, the second you played, you know, um, Aussie rules, soccer, hockey, rugby, you basically don't know what you're doing. So you're training for something you don't know what you're doing, which is really archaic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and a long way behind that sort of individual sports that we've seen. So, um, so again, was... utilizing utilizing my time, I, I sort of figured out a way to, uh, to measure a passion, which was sports, with uh-huh. a business idea, which was the technology. Which is perfect. For, that's the perfect sweet spot. If you're passionate about something, it's easier to actually drive that business. And you've been doing it for six years now. And um, just reading a little bit about who, um, what you've done. So you're in over... How many countries now are you actually in um, with our sports performance tracking? Yeah, we say 110 because yeah, well, it's sort of ever-moving, but uh-huh. it's about 120-something now. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean... Some of those, um, you know, from a credibility standpoint, mm-hmm. some of those have between three and five, ten players in it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or one or two teams. Yep. Um, but we know we've got more than 20 teams in around 50 countries. So. Around 50 countries. At the bottom reading is about 30,000 users and 2,500 teams that you're actually supporting yeah. with your product. Yeah. Again, it's, it's an ever-moving beast. I think we just clicked over 50,000 the other day. Users and oh, that's that's and, um, very a different. Bit over 3, <laughs> yeah, yeah very a bit over three thousand teams yeah. now. So now your, your your target market is more that um, the local sport, from what I gathered on a call last time. It was not the 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 professional level. It was more the local sport. Is that still correct? Yeah, very yeah. much so. We okay. call it the aspiring. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, putting boundaries on sub elite and calling people yes. sub elite. Why not? Not a great marketing. No, product, I don't think so. Offend <laughs> your customers. Yes, but. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we, we even see, you know, Division One high schools, or sorry, Division One colleges uh-huh. and, and um, development academies, national yes. teams that we've got, which we still classify as aspiring mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't have the budgets and they don't have the sophistication Understand. that the elite teams do. So we, we, we definitely, we want to call it aspiring and we think those teams are aspiring to be better. Yeah, no, very. That's yeah, that's a good way to position it because everyone, if they're uh, looking to invest in tracking their players, they are aspiring to improve clearly because uh, it's hard. To, like you said, in team sport, we get, it's difficult to track what uh, each player is doing. Um, the coach may on the may be on the boundary line, and in some of those levels, there's one or two, one or two coaches potentially, and then you got um, the old water boy when he's play local footy, um, and that's pretty much all you had running around. So yeah, you couldn't actually track what output some players are doing unless they. In, in footy, they got access to the ball a lot and they just basically... But you didn't see the guys that were running the 5Ks, 10Ks in a, in a game. You couldn't actually pick that up at all. Yeah, you wouldn't have yeah, no. in AFL. No, correct. Well, sometimes it's the it's the kid that, that looks laconic um, yes. or it's the player, uh-huh. um, male or female, that you know looks like they're not trying, but they yeah. actually are faster than most of the other players. Yeah. They just look laconic in their, in their uh-huh. way and, and, and we can identify that through our systems. Yeah, very cool. So now what... In terms of this is clearly a tech business. Now, how did you go about starting that first device? Is this something that you talk to people in China, then when you're manufacturing the underwear, you got some contacts? What did you do to just first kick off the first prototype? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So uh-huh. initially, the the first concept I had was for myself again. Yeah. Um, you know, selfishly building a product that, that relates to me makes it very easy to be the customer. <laughs> Get it. Um, mm-hmm. 
it also gets me cheaper things like cheaper underwear. I, I used yeah. to have heaps of them. Now I've run out of them all. Um, <laughs> And, and at that point in time, I could have the latest and greatest technology and, yes. and put it through the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but essentially what I wanted to do was figure out a way that I could figure out how many kilometers and how, you know, what sort of speeds I was running mm-hmm. at training. Okay. And then identify, am I doing enough in training versus mm-hmm. a game, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so all I needed was a GPS. Did I need to go build, you know, build a new wheel? No. And mm-hmm. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't ever really want to. Okay. Um, and, and initially... What I actually did was I went to JB Hi-Fi and put in a bulk order online, bought, I think, 20 um, Magellan GPS units um, mm-hmm. off their online site, got it sent to me. Um, I chopped the, the wrist component off it because it was just a, more well, probably what I called was one of the ugliest GPS units there was on the market, <laughs> Yes, but quite accurate. Okay. So, so I works. thought, right, how, do I re- how do I repurpose this? Interesting. Um, so I cut the, cut the wristbands off it. Got a um, a vest, or um, if you're a Seinfeld fan, a man, a man, a man bra, uh, <laughs> Manzier, man love it. Manzier, yes, um, <laughs> a Manzier built, uh-huh. and essentially started tracking my local footy team, um, strapping it to the back using an existing product. Oh, I'm um, sure they appreciated putting those Manziers on. <laughs> look, at, I mean, it's funny. It's funny. Five years ago, it was a real masculinity challenge yes <laughs> now it's now it's quite well identified with mm. you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic LeBron James yes. Tim Cahill um, all these guys wearing mm-hmm. it the people are like hang on these are kind of cool yeah so it's funny to hear you know even in the US we, we, we saw that 12 months ago where mm. people are like I'm not wearing that right. <laughs> um, whereas now they're like I know what that is it yes is. yes so it's, 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 it's a yeah get it yeah. How did that first those trials trials go? So what what was obviously it was a bit of pushback in terms of wearing it, but obviously they start clearly started wearing it and saw saw some results from it. Yeah, definitely. I mm. think the the second they you know you watch the change in people's trainings men- mentalities. Uh-huh. You know the the theory or the scientific theory behind the placebo effect almost works with this without with our system. Don't don't even turn the unit on. Uh-huh. And you'll get increased performance because they think you're being watched. Yeah, okay. you know it's 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 the old adage of, um, you know, having a substitute teacher there. Uh-huh. If if people have a substitute teacher there, they don't they don't learn and they don't listen in the same way. Mm. So if you can always have a coach there, and mm-hmm. they always feel like they're being tracked. They're never slacking off. Get it. Um, but so it's the first motivation. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, or accountability is the, is the key thing. It's yeah, it's, it's all um, accountability. It's accountability that puts their efforts into focus now. Yes. Yeah, you can't, you, you can't, can't hide. hide. <laughs> I think the Americans at CES, when we debuted it, they called it the slacker tracker because you can figure out who was slacking. <laughs> Especially at training, um, right? I think we've all been, I don't know, Anthony played soccer, I played a bit of uh, local footy myself, but we've all been out those cold winter nights and um, just trying to get off the track as fast as possible. But yeah, in this scenario, you can't really hide if you're not training properly or putting the proper output out. Yeah. You'll, you'll certainly be found out, mm. so... Um, yeah, the first the first trials went went um, well. Yep. Um, it was interesting to see some of the players start competing with each other every training and every mm-hmm. game, and they'd come in and be like, "I ran fourteen k's," and someone go, "Hang on, what? You ran fourteen k's? Give it to me." Yep. They'd go out and wear it, and they'd run fourteen. They're like, "I thought I'd only run six or seven. Interesting. Um, okay. So it changed the way our club trained, uh-huh. um, and then ultimately a bunch of clubs we used to play against, other friends of mine playing mm-hmm. in local country leagues, yes. started going, "Hey, I want one." Mm-hmm. And within, I think it was within four months, we were selling more. Or I was selling more of the the Magellan GPS units than than Harvey Norman and JD Hi-Fi combined. <laughs> wow! So you basically yeah. just repurposed the off-the-shelf product, cut yeah. off the wristband, and, also, and slapped it in the back of a bra that you you basically made from being affiliated with the underwear business. I would imagine. Yeah. Yep. And and what I did was I actually approached the company, which was a Sydney-based company, so they're owned by Navman. The, world's oh, yeah. biggest gps company mm-hmm. um and i approached them and said can i get a better price mm. and they said yeah you can do this price and i said the other thing is i want approval to sell it for more and they're like well we can't you know we're not selling that many at this price why why do you think you can sell it for more yes and i said that's fine as long as you let me do it i'll you know let me have that issue uh-huh. um and they were selling for 2.99 at jb hi-fi and we were yep. selling for 475 direct okay because now there were extra purpose. costs yep yeah mm-hmm. they were extra costs to uh-huh. us uh-huh. um and then they would use, just use an online portal, Strava, at the time. Okay. Yep. Um, if they wanted to upload and compare as a team. So you basically... Um, ultimately, have... 
at that stage you had the device you had to connect to your computer upload the, the data i would imagine at that time is that how it ran yeah it, yeah yeah exactly uh-huh. so um or it had a little screen on it so you could see it on the screen mm-hmm. um and then if you wanted finer details you'd upload it very creative will um <laughs> and then you get very creative. the strava platform for everyone to compare yeah 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 and that and was then... that was good enough that was good enough at that stage but mm-hmm. You know, we identified pretty quickly. And I always say we because I always think my brand and myself are, are a team. Uh-huh. Um, so people always go, who was the we behind it? Yes. And I always go, well, it's not really we. It's me and the brand. Get it. Um, so when I say we, you know, what we figured out between the, the, the you know, all the things that were going on was mm-hmm. after about seven or eight sessions, people would start going, yeah, you know, I get it. I get what I'm doing. It's good to hold me accountable, but I'm not that interested anymore. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So they stopped comparing as much. You know, they'd still be like, you know, in 14 kilometers or, you know, 12 kilometers in a game. That's a K more than my PB or a K less than what I should be doing. Then they'd be interested. But if it was reasonably similar, they're like, all oh, right, this is, you know, it's reasonably consistent. Mm-hmm. So that's when we identified one. We needed a more accurate GPS. Okay. Um, you know, those GPSs were built for, mainly straight line movements so mm-hmm. cyclists cars these types of things and it's a oh, very Disney. different mm-hmm. i could get into the technology side of things that i've learned over the time mm-hmm. but um a very different technology than you know high speed lateral movements interesting so playing sport mm. you know one of the one of the most fatiguing components of sport is the acceleration deceleration mm-hmm. so if i accelerated and decelerated quickly a hundred times within the space of 400 meter run mm. would be more fatiguing than a 5k yeah, at a so, slow pace, correct. Exactly. Mm. So we, we realised, all right, we need to know more mm-hmm. and we need to show more. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and and that's essentially where the business started. You know, at that point in time, it was a hustle. Then it became a business. <laughs> yeah, you're reselling a different product. So now you came to the realisation that we need our own hardware. We need to produce it. So that's what I'm imagining. Or partner with someone that actually can produce the, what you actually needed, as well as maybe a backing on a, a platform that you could actually sync your data into. That's yeah, what I'm imagining more. this would have went to. Analytics, insights, more finer grain control. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay. And I was, at that point in time, I didn't have the knowledge, yes. I didn't have the clients, and I didn't have the money. Uh-huh. So that was the fun part of trying to figure <laughs> out how I make a business. And if, over the time you've raised, if so everyone wants to know, $7.5 million in capital over three years um, for this business. Now, is that when this started? Uh, clearly, that's a big amount of money. Uh, it is a hardware business and a tech business, and it needs a lot of capital to produce. But what was your... You've obviously sold, and these, like you said, it's a hustle business. So you've been reselling other people's products. You realized that you needed a bit, some better outputs, some better hardware, and better monitoring what was your first step? Was it looking for investors or was it, was it looking for a partner? How did you approach it? No, I didn't even think about investment at that stage. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, that first step, so probably 18 months before we started mm-hmm. getting capital investments from, you know, um, you know, sophisticated investors in Melbourne. Yes. Um, I needed to solve the problem of, you know, if someone came to me and said, oh, great, you got a business here, they'd go, no, you're just a salesperson selling someone else's product. Why don't they just do it all? You know, why, uh-huh. why can't I find someone else? So I'm like, all right, I've got no value. Um, mm-hmm. As a person, I, you know, the value is an idea. An idea is not worth nearly as much as an execution. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I had to go find someone to either build me a product, which mm-hmm. gave me value. Suddenly it's my product. Yes. Um, I had to go to a bank and fund that. Uh-huh. And I also needed to then build the software behind it as well, which I didn't have. Okay, well. So, and I couldn't do it myself. So you um, had the two-prong approach. So we generally talked a lot of um, non-techs that go and just build some software, but basically you're in the approach of looking to jump in, build software, but also a hardware piece that you had no idea about and um, yeah, couldn't actually do it. The, yeah, complicates the whole yeah, process significantly. Yes. Yeah, yeah uh, look, I think the word naive comes to mind. <laughs> okay. um, yes. You know, I... I internally thought oh it's gps you know it's 20 year old technology it's plastics it's not hard pcbs Uh you know um all that sort of stuff yeah and most people can do it yes um yeah look it's it's certainly delivering a product that works consistently that Mm -hmm. doesn't have issues Mm -hmm. um you know that 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 is affordable um at all senses of that word Uh um and to then be able to do that on mass is not an easy task and 
And I'd certainly, you know, again, that, that's probably one of the biggest learnings from SPT is mm-hmm. um, the, the, the reason or one of the key things that slowed us down in that first two years was building a hardware product. The software was easy. We software could update easy. that, change that. You know, you could do everything live. Yep. Yep. But yeah, software people... compared to hardware, yep. oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a dream versus... Yeah, most people can underestimate the complexity of software. Uh-huh. But look, hardware is at a different level. Yes. There's a lot yeah. more components involved. It's a different type of thinking, different type of programming as well. And the, and the other yeah. thing is you've invested in a piece of hardware. If you produce, just say, 100,000 units and they all fail, all your money has just gone down the drain. Um, yeah. Whereas software, you can well, iterate and change. Like the hardware's done. Yeah. Uh, there's not much you can do after that. Yeah, most people that are uh, playing around with software think of how many times they've pushed code that has, yes. you know, one little bit that breaks mm. even 10% of the time. Yeah. If you push hardware that does that, that yep. could be... Hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars yeah. worth of costs yeah. that you may not have in the bank. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, so prototype, PCB boards, <laughs> it's a level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's not yeah. that's not saying it's not doable. Uh-huh. It's just oh. it's a different um, QA process you go through. Of you don't you yeah. don't test and run and test and run and uh-huh. you know put put you know a thousand units out in the market and then find out that fifty percent of them fail. Or, yes, and we've certainly been through that where we've. We've put out five, six hundred, mm-hmm. and we found out this fault only operated at certain temperatures in certain places. Oh, wow. But okay. funnily enough, that happens around the world over the course of 12 months. Yeah, of course. But when yeah. we were testing it for that six months, it didn't uh-huh. occur. Interesting. Um, and that, that, you know, that slowed us down and set us back mm-hmm. a little bit. And, yeah, it's a different level of real world testing. So, yeah. How did yeah. you, what did you, you obviously needed the hardware first. How did you go about looking to build this hardware? What did you do? Who did you, who yeah, did so you work was, with? I think um, there's, a, there's a good quote, there's the harder you work, the luckier you get. I certainly have had my fair share of luck. Yep. Um, you know, whether whether that's deserved or not deserved, that's that's in the eye of everyone else. But, um, you know, I, I went and pitched my idea to, to five innovation houses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was companies building technology in all different spaces. I was just on my best friend, um, mm-hmm. always will be my best friend called Google. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just basically, everything I've learned is through listening, learning, reading, inquiring if you've got any question type it into google i guarantee you'll find an answer whether it's the right one that's a different thing it's a starting um, point though you've got a lot of yeah. opinions too yes yeah so you know listen to what you want to listen to and listen to what you believe in uh-huh. um but i went out and pitched to, to a bunch of innovation houses off the back of that i pitched to the banks off the back of that i went on linkedin found and you know, i'm pretty sporty sort of person and within uh-huh. my networks weren't too many software developers or network architects or whatever. Um, so I went and found, and again, a bit naive, but went and found the, the university that had the highest enter score to enter computer science degrees. <laughs> Interesting way to do it. Um, my, assumption, my assumption would mean, okay, that's got smart people. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I contacted the, um, the lecturer, one of the senior lecturers there and said, do you have any first or second year uni students that you think would Yes. You know, be good at this type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, he gave me a name of about 20 people. That's and list. one of them, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, one of them I had a LinkedIn connection with. Okay. Um, okay. And that was a mutual connection. The rest I had no connections with at all. So um, I got a, a mutual friend to reach out and we met up for coffee in Chapel Street. Uh-huh. And I said, this is what I want to build. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm willing to do this. A little bit of smoke and mirrors. I've got an innovation house that's doing it. I've got the bank that's backing me. You want in? I went to the bank and said, I've got an innovation house and I've got a software developer. You in? And I went yes. to the innovation house and said, I've got a software developer and a bank. You in? Yes. <laughs> Fake it before you make so it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, well, yeah. It's, it's, you know, the sales tactic of don't don't overstate your opinion, but certainly state your, state yes. your opinion overstated. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so... They all they all sort of jumped in, and mm. um, again, I was pretty fortunate that the software developer I found, who I'm still friends with to this day, yes. um, he's gone on to do other things. He's living in over, over in New York at the moment, which okay. That's um, he, he certainly said was the moment. worst. No. He, yeah, he moved oh, from yeah. he moved from San Francisco to New York three months ago and said it was the worst decision he's ever made. Uh, he's been in lockdown since he got there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. Um, we can't control what happens around but, us, only what happens uh, in our own uh, backyard. So, yeah, we can't do anything about yeah. it. So, yeah. Exactly. But he, he started and I said, you've got two weeks to build this as a bit of a test. Mm-hmm. Two days later, he rocked up at the co-sharing office that I was sort of renting and working out of. Yep. And 
gave me a prototype that was exactly what I asked for. So, so you um, basically, and that's something really important here, um, a point that you just landed on, you gave him a little test project uh, just to test the output. Some people can just jump way too far in um, and jump into a six, 12 month build and all of a sudden six, 12 months later, they still haven't delivered anything. Um, so yeah, it's a good, good little testing and something smart that you did there. Yeah, the key thing is he could have told me, talked absolute gibberish to me yes. and told me all, you know, used all mm-hmm. wordings and, uh-huh. you know, used all acronyms and things and gone, yeah, and I'd go, yeah, great, he sounds smart, <laughs> he's doing computer science, yes. I've got no idea what he's talking about. Yep. But, you know, I was like, I don't really care about that language. What I care about is this output. Can you do this output for me? Get it. Um, and that's can all you, that matters. you know, really. upload a file? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Can you upload a file and can you show me information from it? Mm-hmm. Don't don't care about design, don't care about this. Um, and then he came back with not only what I'd asked for and a couple of other things. And, uh-huh. and for me, um, you know, one of the one of the strongest things I always look for in anyone that I work with and that works for me is inquisitiveness. Mm-hmm. Are they inquisitive to the point where they'll come up with interesting things or interesting thoughts or even question what I'm saying, what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, with their own thoughts? Now, that might not be the outcome. Mm-hmm. But that shows that inquisitiveness that I think is key to being successful. Yeah, well, it's an interesting point. We've um, we've raised this and I shared uh, one of Anthony's brilliant quotes um, the other day on um, just on LinkedIn out of a podcast, which was uh, if you something along the lines of "Don't quote me on it," but um, if you if you engage a yes developer, that's the best way to build shit software. Um, so, in reality, if you're looking at just people that say yes and just don't really care about the product. I think inquisitive is a great way to put it because the more engaged they are with the product, the more interested they are in just to solve the problem, add value and question what you're thinking. I think that's that adds a bit to their personality and how they're going to add value to you as well as to yeah, the they product itself. Yeah, they need to question, use their thought process yes. and provide feedback, value, alternatives, other suggestions. Yes. Not just take what you say and deliver it. So by him providing you with that little prototype that delivered what you asked for, plus had some extra things and extra suggestions shows that he's thought about the problem. Mm. He's uncovered what's, what else could be done, giving you extra feedback from a technology perspective, which you would have lacked at the time. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think you look at, and I'm probably going to go into my second pop culture reference here. I've done Seinfeld. I get onto the Simpsons. You look at when Homer, Homer built that car. You know, yep. that's that's the yes developer. Oh, great! This is this would be cool for me, and this would be cool. This would be cool. Um, and basically, there's no pushback. There's no you know suggestions. There's no why would you do that? There's no challenge. And you come up with a car, or you come up with a product that no one wants. There's a product yep. that you think people want, but you haven't asked someone. You haven't you know you haven't had those conversations. You haven't questioned everything you do, mm-hmm. which I think good people do. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So, and that's from so you you built this two week prototype. Um, and, okay. and in two days, <laughs> so or whatever, it was a test. So the next step, yeah. Well, I had no idea if two weeks was the right number, yeah. So you plucked a number and just yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing that you, if you're non technical, you don't really know what things are going to take. And that two weeks might have been a three month project, and that could have been um, well blown over, and it might not have worked out that well. So there's a bit of luck there in saying, all right, I think it's two weeks, at least you got two days was a better outcome than being a two-month project which you might not have understood at the time so um, sometimes people jump in they try and guesstimate and it becomes a bit messy because they just don't understand what's actually required I, mean, I struggle yeah, to estimate I... let alone someone who's not a tech person mm. and yeah. I've been doing this well, for 13 years I think the, the key thing is yeah. there a conversation yes you know it's it's yeah. it's can you do it within this time what can uh-huh. you do right, what are we giving what are we giving up if i need it done by this day mm-hmm. what am i giving up what yeah. can't i get what can mm-hmm. what can you not do mm. um versus what can we achieve yes and mm-hmm. i think that conversation is incredibly important yep. because there's too many people who go yeah i'll do it for you mm-hmm. and then they come out and they've either done exactly what you asked but not the other things that you assumed were in it yes or the alternative they just haven't been able to complete it and they said that was never achievable it's like well i didn't know that <laughs> exactly yeah. that were you weren't told at the time were you mm. yeah yeah exactly okay. so i think those those conversations are really really important to you know understanding expectations and mm-hmm. understanding outcomes mm-hmm. so now you've got a software development process started you've you've actually landed some investment from the banks from the from the, the pitching house is that well, where you sort of were at at this stage a bit more luck, but again, yep. you work for it, you make it. Yep. Um, the in- Innovation House, 
um, came to us after we pitched the idea and said, "Look, we think this is a really good idea. Okay, um, we want to back it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll build we'll build you this for free as long as we get equity in this." Okay, so who was the, who did you work with? Uh, Planet Innovation. I work with them okay. to this day, and I work yep. with them as long as I'm building technology because I think they're fantastic. Planet they're Innovation. Equity. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, so they're you know global biotechnical de- developers doing some amazing stuff you know, throughout Europe, throughout, but they're based here in Box Hill okay, nice. um, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've been named, and this was after our relationship and, uh-huh. and certainly taking no credits for it because it was for other products. Mm. Um, but I was fortunate again, a bit of luck where they became, you know, when I saw them, they were, I think, 15 or 20 people. They're now 300, 400. Well, significant um, growth. Yeah, huge. Yeah, they're, yeah. you know, they're, they've been named BRW's most innovative company, I think, mm-hmm. four times. I always go wrong. I think yeah, it's four yeah. or five <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, either way, they've been named it because they are highly innovative, and yes. you know the way the way we the luck that we got with that they were interested, that they were developing, that they were making some cool stuff, mm. and then that you know they knew how to do it all. Yep. Um, and I kind of just sucked as much information out of them as I could. Okay. Um, and as, as I said, I still work with them to this day. One yes. of my directors at SPT is one of the co-founders of, of Planet Innovation. Yeah, nice. And oh, I speak cool. to him on a weekly basis. So, yeah, perfect. Um, that's you know, what... we, we throw up different ideas and different thoughts, whether it's about our business, their business, other people's businesses, mm-hmm. other thoughts, and always learning different ways. And, and that's what a good part, business partner does. So in um, so from that experience, you actually found a partner that was able to deliver from a, was it the software piece and the hardware piece? Where was that sort of at? No, so huh? they did the hardware. Okay, um, nice. So they built the hardware. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. um, they sourced it. Mm-hmm. They delivered it. Yep. Um, and then on the back end, I was working with Andreas Nimbaropoulos, yes, um, who built the the software, the software. for us. So, okay. um, yeah, it was. And, and again, I obviously didn't have the cash, and uh-huh. and it's pretty hard to. It's it's easier to fake to people what you're doing. It's <laughs> pretty hard to do that to a bank. Yeah, because um, <laughs> I look so, correct. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and again, I was a 24 year old, just uh-huh. moved out of home. Um, had basically, you know, pretty minimal to my name, what I'd sold 365 for and some, yes. you know, four or five years worth, of, or four years worth of savings as, as a real estate agent. Yeah, nice. Um, good, but not enough. Not enough, um, okay. So from that perspective, I, I approached Andreas and said, look, would you take shares in this so-called mm-hmm. company? And he yes. said, yes. Okay. You know, he was he was similar age. I think he was my, he was my age. Mm-hmm. Um, he's moved, he, he was originally from South Africa, mm-hmm. was living in Melbourne. Um, he's like, look, I'm... I'm working, I'll do this on the side, great, let's go. Oh, so become a co-founder in that business in or some, a shareholder in that business as well. And I imagine yeah. obviously Planet um, Innovation also took some shareholding from the um, hardware side. So you really looked at, Correct. from the early outset, you were really clear that right, I can't deliver this on my own. And you went and found someone that you could work with to deliver the software and then a, a hardware partner, um, which I think, yeah, that was in reality, that's the most complex part of what you're doing because, like you said, hardware is uh, quite a challenging beast. And if you, you get that wrong, it can be the end of the business. And it's yeah, imperative that the hardware works um, and it doesn't fail. Um, obviously, it can't be limited, zero failure, but yeah, you want minimal failure as humanly possible. So getting the right team and partners and uh, on board, however you refer to them as, is yeah, pivotal to any success. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, you're right in saying that both hardware and software are both mm. difficult, but every component of, yes. of you know, startup world um, of innovation mm-hmm. is difficult and yes. you really can't have many, if any, fail. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like going into bushfire season. You know there's going to be bushfires. you just got to be ready to put them out at any time as quick <laughs> as possible. Yes. Um, and for us, you know, the initial one that was difficult was, was um, the hardware. Uh-huh. But certainly, you know, the finances, you know, the people and culture, sales, you know, they're all as difficult. Um, they're just relative, you know, skill sets that I was much more comfortable in mm. a sales environment mm-hmm. to teach people how to sell, to run those processes I than see. I was in the technical land. So mm-hmm. that was the biggest risk that I had to be more on top of. And you've proven that already. You're already selling um, products that weren't yours and actually obviously generating some income out of it. So you've proven that you could actually sell this thing. It was and more about yeah. yeah, proven. Yes, concept was proven. How many people did you have? You mentioned at the start, was it like 20 clubs where you were using it? Was that right? Uh, so it, no, it was in, well, initially it was 20 units that I bought, uh-huh. um, which number. got yep. me the bulk, bulk buying price. Yes. Um, 
but before we actually built our own product, I think it was about 360 units. 360 units. Okay, so it's still a significant number. You're proving this concept and it makes it really investable. So you basically proved this concept with your skill set, which is selling a product. You repurposed yeah. something that already existed, which is extremely innovative. A lot of people just get sort of stuck and say, oh, I can't do this, it's too hard. I have to develop the hardware. I have to develop the software. But you thought of a different way, which is... Um, a little bit different than other people and it's if you want to draw this back i think some people out there that have an idea and a concept even if it's not just if it's not hardware based look at software you can reuse and repurpose potentially get you that first few sales and actually prove your business model which is what you were doing in the beginning um, which is going to make it easier for you, for you to be investable for the banks to talk to you for the investment house to actually talk to you if you came with an idea I think it's a little bit more challenging. You've proven a model and you used your skill set to do that. So I think there's a lot of learning in that, Will. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of the key things is is MVP or minimum viable yep. product. Mm. Figure out what that needs to look like mm -hmm. and then get it out. Yes. And I can't remember, I think it's like Steve Jobs or someone like that that yep. references if you're happy with your MVP, uh -huh. you you launched it too late. You launched it too late. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. So don't yeah. don't wait don't wait around to figure out if you're happy with it. Uh -huh. You need to figure out if other people are happy with it. Yep. And the only way you're going to do that is by, you know, getting it out there and getting mm -hmm. them to say, I hate this component. It's like, all right, good. I, I now know what I need to fix. Yep. Yeah, and that's, that's important. So you've got a focus point then because I think we can get lost in our idea and our product and we can be adding things, features, functions that, users don't really care about we just in our mindset believe that this is important uh, this is going to add more value to the product but in in reality like anything there's the 80 20 rule uh, 20 percent of your, your feature sets going to be used 27 percent of your products going to be used so your mvp can be nice and tight and it can still deliver the outcomes that you're looking for yeah definitely i think you know the the best way to learn is by by learning with your customers and yep. you can fix those problems mm -hmm. but people are people generally as you said people don't use everything that they you know all, all the capabilities of that technology they'll yes. just use what they want yeah they will and they'll use what's important to them and it might just be how far have i ran today um on the on the track and they might not care about anything else but that's all that person cares about the next person might care about how many sprints did i do everyone's got a different um a need a different want a different desire and it's when you're trying to service everybody at the start it's difficult um so you're just tapping on part of the market is, is a great great place to start from an mvp perspective yeah well i think i think that the best way to put it is even lebron james not not everyone loves lebron james yeah so if he can't make everyone happy who the hell can <laughs> so stop trying <laughs> And yeah, that's the reality of it. No one can ever make anyone, everyone happy. If you try to, you don't make anyone happy. That's that's generally what happens. So, Will, yeah. how, how, you've been doing this for six years now. So how big is your team? Um, you're in 50,000 users, uh, 3,000 teams plus you mentioned. How big is your team? What does it look like? Yeah, look, I think um, it's a very different answer to what uh -huh. it was two months ago. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, we're in an industry... Um, that's probably one of the major affected industries globally. So mm. you've got obviously travel and you know travel, retail, yes. hospitality, and sports. Yeah, because there is that... no one playing sports around the globe at the moment. Mm. No, um, no. So our team two months ago was twenty-one people. Okay. Um, so five of them over in the USA, out of uh -huh. Chicago and Los Angeles. Yes. Um, now we've reduced back to nine. Okay, so um, significant and impact. And that's on a temporary. Yeah. yeah, on a temporary basis. Uh -huh. um, with you know, one one thing during these things is you've got to make sure that you've got enough cash to withstand it. Yes. So you've got to make really hard calls really mm. early. It's mm -hmm. like you know, if you if you put it into a you know, more pop culture, if you put it into an F one racing um, sort of terminology, the second you see the bend, you've got to put the brakes on as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. The second you see the the straight down the other side of the bend, then that's when you start accelerating it. So yep. for us. You know, we've had to put the brakes on because we realise that there's nothing that we can do to change this. Exactly. And we can only control the controllables. Uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. And then once we see that, you know, sports going back, we'll go really hard again. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we've got enough resources and everything to get through. To move through. Um, yep. and, and, and come out the other side and trying to get up to 300 Ks again. If, yeah, that's... I think, yeah, the, the issue is... Are you a subscription model? How does your business model work? So you've obviously got the hardware, which is a purchase, but is your software a subscription model, monthly fee? How do you... How's your model... How's your business model work? Yeah, so, I mean, we'd love it to be more subscription. Mm -hmm. 
So at the moment, we're 90% of our customers are capital sales. Okay. So they'll buy, say, $300 up front. Yes. They own the GPS. Uh-huh. Um, but then in yeah. our software, we have premium features, upgraded features. We yes. run a freemium premium offering. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Where if you buy the unit, you can... You can use the free offering, yes. but if you want, if you want extra features, you want the premium insights, you want, you know, de- different capabilities. You'll upgrade to our virtual sports scientist, okay, which is a subscription, which is about ten percent of our a revenue income. And that okay. would, yeah. would that be you seeing a hit on that right now? That income stream, obviously, sales yeah. are completely dropped off. I would imagine in your current state of affair. Yeah, I mean, look, okay. that, that's why we've had yeah. to reduce staffing yeah. numbers and. Mm. and um, reduce our overhead costs and, mm-hmm. and our opex is because yep. you know even clubs with subscriptions are putting them on pause or yes. cancelling them or mm-hmm. um, delaying them and, mm-hmm. and we're not going to put customers and, and people that make our business in a position where yep. you know they can't afford it or they get annoyed at us because uh-huh. that hurts us in a longer term fashion than of course you know, the three does. to six to nine month period that this does the last thing so, you want to do is kill your brand in this current position in the market a hundred percent so We've got to come out of it alive and in uh-huh. better shape. Yes. Um, and that means we're going to have to take that financial hit. Um, mm. But for us, you know, that's we've actually seen more people go to a capital sales model in this last sort of two months, uh-huh. last month, because they just want to clear that money. They've got that money in their budget or that's in their bank account. And they're just going to spend it okay. rather than guarantee that they're going to pay for it for two or three years time. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. All right. So it's it's tough times for a lot of people out there. Um, yeah, sports went hit significantly. No one's playing. So that's yeah, a difficult time. Let's hope it's not too long and um, you can see yourself through it. So um, all the best on that front. Um, a lot of businesses out there um, won't come back from this and uh, it's quite unfortunate as to what's going on. There's a lot of support out there, but not everyone will get through this so if you weren't set up to begin with it's going to be quite challenging for a number of businesses travel tourism uh, are big hits um uh, clearly that's all that's all um diminished away and um but from on a positive note there's opportunity in the marketplace to reset rethink maybe and really look at business models and how you've been approaching things in the past and how you can move forward um beyond this point and help your customers in the long run yeah, I think um, you know any any major change you go through creates opportunity. It does, um, mm-hmm. and and I this is one of the largest major changes mm-hmm. in the global macro environment that probably happened in the last 60, 70 years. Oh, by, by um, means, yes, yeah. and that's going to create more opportunity mm-hmm. on the other side mm-hmm. of it. It may take a while for that mm-hmm. to be exposed. Yes, but it will be exposed. Yeah. and you know I, I look at that as as really exciting, um, whether that be changes of how people manage businesses. Uh-huh. Are people going to go, hang on a minute, people are actually reasonably effective uh-huh. outside of the means. People <laughs> yes. are actually effective at home or uh-huh. people enjoy it more or that's giving us the balance that technology was meant to create. Interesting. was meant yeah. to create us to be more efficient. Uh-huh. How does that change HR? How does that change company? How does that change culture? Yes. That's one component of it. What's mm-hmm. the infrastructure that's going to be required? What mm-hmm. other technologies are going to be needed? You know, mm-hmm. homeschooling, could that become more prominent than what we're seeing at the moment? Um I don't know the answers to the questions, but I certainly know there's questions. Yeah, there's definitely questions out there. Things are definitely going to come through. Yes. Like you said, the big change, I think, will be the work from home. Mm -hmm. As soon as people realise that uh, their employees are capable of working from home, it's going to make a big shift in terms of, uh, do we need this big office that we're uh, paying uh, thousands and thousands of dollars a month for to just uh, maintain our staff under one roof? And that's 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 a trust Yes, that's a trust thing. You know, I'll put my hand up, yeah. and any of my staff listening uh-huh. to this would know that I'm pretty open in saying yeah. I I really struggled to have that remote, flexible mm-hmm. working. Yes, because I knew how to build a culture when everyone's there. I knew mm-hmm. how to manage people when they're there. Yeah, I don't know how to manage them when they're not there. Yeah. This has given me the opportunity to learn and figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say that it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. That's that's the, that's the best way to learn. And, yeah. and I wouldn't take the risk if uh-huh. I didn't have to. Yes. At the moment, I don't have a choice. Yeah, there's so no I've choice. Got to learn. Exactly. And I think we're all yeah. in that boat. Um, we've got a team of, uh, what is it, eight, nine guys in Melbourne and um, also an offshore team. And yeah, we're managing them all remotely now. And uh, it's actually working out better than I thought it could. Um, yeah, so I'm in the same boat. Like, how do we manage that? It just thought that we needed to be in one place just setting parameters um in and having the processes that already were there when we we're in the office and um, that still exists today has just streamlined how we're actually managing that so i think having the right preparation in play even though we weren't preparing for this has put us in a good position yeah we were home working yes. anyway 
Pastorally, some people were, yeah, yeah. but I think now it's converted. Everybody is. Um, so that's, yeah, changed the whole dynamic. I don't, I've never really liked working from home, but I've had to make that work. Um, and I've, yeah, we all learn and adjust when we have to. Exactly. Now, uh, I think it's going to be going to be interesting. And yeah. um, for, for people out there that are looking at opportunities, yes. be, it, be it you're in a, you're in one that was going well and it's going to fail, or uh-huh. it was failing and now it's going to go well. Yeah, it can happen. There's going way. to be more. Mm. There's going to be more, um, more opportunities. So just, yeah. just this stay, might give you stay tuned. The opportunity to try and pivot into some other markets or something. It You've got some more time to think about it now mm. too. Yeah, and just I'm more sitting... the home fitness, personal fitness potentially. Yes. Yeah. Potentially. Now, Will, um, just yeah. to just to wrap this sort of up, let's um, take a step back and just go back to Will of two thousand and fourteen, um, and just pretend you go to Will and say, Will, um, here's some things that I want you to take into the next six years of sports performance tracking. Here's some learnings, some understandings that I've got over the journey. What would you tell Will of two thousand and fourteen about how to start this business? What what mistakes to avoid? What traps to avoid? And where to put your focus? Yeah, I mean, number one tip would say watch out for February 2020 um, and COVID. <laughs> nice. um, so, a bit, yeah. bit another pop culture reference, yeah. a bit like Back to the Future. Probably yes. give a probably give a, a gambling guide as well. Yeah. Um, but no, going going back to the serious nature of that, yeah. you know, certainly um, a real a real a really strong emphasis on building people, building people's capabilities within your team. Okay. Um, you know, the more the more um, I can build up team members to be operating in either their best fashion or our best fashion mm-hmm. um, is going to give me more time back. Yes. Um, I certainly think, you know, building a, a plan and a reasonably flexible plan is really important okay. um, because there's curveballs in nature, not only COVID-19, but everything that you go through. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I'd, I'd also... You know, there's certainly components of me that say just because you're working long hours doesn't mean you're working efficiently. I agree. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I don't think humans, I don't think people should be built and are built to work, you know, 24-7 or, you know, 16 hours a day, six six days a week. Mm. So figure out a way to do it more efficiently and better because mm-hmm. if you're taking that long, you're not doing it right. Yep. So well, you might need to be um, understaffed you know, or under-utilizing staff in different ways, just rethink it. Yeah, there's also expectations. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, do you sit back and learn, mm. you know, from this life? What, what do you mm. want to take out of it? And mm. I, you know, you want as much balance as you can. And, mm-hmm. and balance isn't a word that entrepreneurs like. And it's <laughs> not a word that, that um, you know, business owners, founders, CEOs, or even just highly driven people yes. like. Yes, But you've just got to get used to it. Yeah, okay. I find it a challenge myself in terms of balance. Um, when I hone in and lock in on something, I just... Yeah, I put all my energy in that. And I find it difficult to just shift um, perspective and, uh, and shift being from, and you have to learn. Um, becoming a dad has taught me that I need to learn and shift. That's dad time, and it's it's interesting in terms of balance and what that actually means. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's something that you, you've only got to go through mm. it to realise when you need it. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely you know if I if I pen a letter to myself, there's a few uh-huh. things that I tell myself yeah. again. As well as the uh-huh. you know the Flemington races every weekend, what what tips to go on? Because that would also help. <laughs> oh, Make it a little bit easier. For be a lot easier. Come. Yes, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably still find a way to lose. To <laughs> Love it, Will. Um, I think that's been great chat, Will, in terms of your experience and um, what it's been like setting up a business, sports performance tracking. Obviously, you're in a, a like everyone in a very different um, business now, and I think at being an entrepreneur, we realise that um, you do get hit. Um, and there are ups and downs and lefts and rights and this is just another one that we will get through as long as you batten down the hatches and um, push through that and uh, been some great learnings through this conversation. Will, how does everyone reach out, learn about sports performance tracking? What are some of the contact details just that anyone wants to know a bit more about you and the business itself and even the hardware? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, business first as always sptgps.com um that'll route you to our our local website to wherever you are Uh um so you know jump on there you can see products you can see everything about us from a philosophical point of um as a businessman um you know definitely linkedin is somewhere that i I spend a fair bit of time whether it's learning or whether it's you know creating content or or connecting with people Mm -hmm. um so certainly those two those two platforms and you know from a um 
you know, from a helpful standpoint, people are always sharing really good content on there. And, mm. and again, they might give you five points and only one of them is relative to you, but that mm. one point you didn't have before exactly. or hadn't been connected the same way. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm always chatting to people, but whether people I know or people I don't know through LinkedIn. Yes. Um, okay. And we met, well on, as, we met know, on LinkedIn. Um, I think we yep. yep, got your connection, reached out, and um, we're on a podcast as a result of LinkedIn. So it's quite a powerful tool if utilized in the right way. Um, with the willingness to expand network and just to meet great people and um, appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I'll, this will be definitely shared out on LinkedIn, so we'll, we'll um, CC you in on LinkedIn so everyone can um, get access to your profile. Yeah, fantastic. I, I really appreciate the time, um, Andrew and Anthony, and, and thanks for having me. No, thanks, no Will. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, then. Stay safe.